Jesus' life verse, I believe, is found in Matthew 22. And we're going to read it together and unpack it together. This life verse, I remember I read the first time I really remember reading this and paying attention to it. You know how sometimes you read a passage, you read a verse, and, and it goes in one ear, out the other. You don't really pay attention to it. And then maybe like five years later, you read it again, and all of a sudden it just jumps out at the page. That's what happened to me when I was about 16 years old. And I read, and I read this passage from Matthew 22, it dawned on me how important these words were. And at that time in my life, I said, I'm going to try to understand this. I'm going to try to not just get what this is, but really apply this to my life because this seems to be really important to Jesus. Okay, so let me start reading this to you so that you can understand uh, what we're going to unpack today in my and Jesus' life verse. Okay, it's in Matthew 22. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Um, And it starts in verse 34. I'll put it up on the screen in just a second. But let me just read the setup before I read what Jesus says. So it says in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So there were these two religious groups back then in the Jewish faith, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were like, they were the two hot shots. They were like the really religious people who thought they knew everything. Okay? And it says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were like, okay, well, we're going to try to, we're going to try to trap him. We're going to try to trick Jesus. The Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus. And it says that they met together to question him. It says in verse 35, one of them, one of the Pharisees, one of these religious leaders, it says, an expert in religious law. So he wasn't just a Pharisee, but he was like an expert, expert, expert Pharisee. So do you know anybody that doesn't just know the Bible, or they don't just know their religion, but they like really know their religion? They're like, they're like holier-than-thou kind of people. How many of you know a holier-than-thou kind of a person? That's all right. You can raise your hand. If you know, you're sitting next to them, aren't you? I can tell. You're not raising your hand. So you know, you, that holier-than-thou person is just like, they know the Bible, they can quote Scripture all day long, and they're like really, really, I would call them like legalistic Legalistic means that they, they know the law, the, the, they know the legal system, and they know the letter of the law, but they, but they probably miss, like, the spirit of the law. They miss what it's about. Do you know anybody like that? I'm just going to stop for a second. Get, get that per- I want you to get that person in your head. Some of you are like, I totally know that person who knows the letter of the law. They are... They, like they can quote scripture all day long, but they totally miss what it's about. They miss the spirit, completely miss the spirit of the law. Or another way to say the spirit of the law, because some of you might not be familiar with that term. I like to use the word, the vibe. Like they know the, they know the, the rules, but they miss the vibe. Like Christianity is supposed to have a certain vibe about it. It's not supposed to just be like all these rules written you know, that's why I hope, that, I don't think we have any 
like lists of rules anywhere around this, this, maybe in kids' church, but other than kids' church, I don't think, oh, probably in our cleaning closet, right? Like, here's, here's, here are the steps you have to follow. I was on the clean team at the Riverdale campus. I love it, actually. It's really organized, and you go in there, and there's like the Monday list, and the Tuesday list, and the, I'm like, a very pharisaical person developed this system. I love it, right? Because it works in that scenario. You want to keep it clean. But some people do use lists and rules in, relig- in their faith, in their religion, in their relationship with God. And a lot of times, 100% of the time, those people miss the vibe. They miss what it's really all about. Because they're, they're so stuck in the details. They're so, they're so stuck in the rules. And that was exactly what the Pharisees were. They were so stuck in the rules and the details and the letter of the law that they missed the vibe of the law. They missed the point of it altogether. And again, you probably know some people like that. Some of you maybe have had a hard time coming to church because of those people, because you tend to find those people at church. Now, we like to send those people over to Washington Heights. So if they come into our church, we send them to that church. So I'm just kidding. I love Washington Heights. We don't do that. We actually send them to a different church. But, but some of you are like, no, that's why I don't... Like, I, I, I'm hesitant... I'm hesitant to really pursue God. I'm hesitant to go, to go to church because I know too many Christians. I mean, I just want you to know that hurts the heart of God to hear that. It's not your fault. It's those quote-unquote Christians' fault. It's not your fault. But it's so, it's so sad to the heart of God that, that, people, that people in the name of God miss what God is really all about. Like that is so, that hurts his heart because so many people fail to follow God because they know too many Christians. And I think that's what this, that's why I love this passage. That's why this passage is my life verse. Because here these Pharisees are and they, they come to Jesus trying to trap him. They're religious leaders. They know the law. They know all the rules. They, I mean, they're like, literally that's what they went to school for. They know it all. But they don't know anything because they missed the vibe. And they came to Jesus with this question. And they said this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? I want you to know what they're asking here. The law of Moses is what we would call today the Ten Commandments. So what they were saying was this. I mean, it's perfect. What they were saying was this. We have the list in our synagogues. We have the list in our homes. I have the list in my bathroom, right? I have the list in my bedroom. Like, I am all about this list, the Ten Commandments. And I asked in the first service how many people in here could stand up here right now and tell me the Ten Commandments, and one person raised her hand. And I was actually really excited about that. That we have more people that know the vibe of the the law than that maybe know the law itself. Because we don't sit, we don't have it posted anywhere. Like, we're not in the Ten Commandments every week, every day, like the Pharisees were. Again, I love the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are great. They're God's Word. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. The, the point is we're supposed to read between the lines. We're not just supposed to read those ten lines. We're supposed to read between the lines and get the vibe of the Ten Commandments, not just the Ten Commandments. So, like, the Ten Commandments are like, for example, the first one is, you should have no other God before me. I'm God, you should have no other God before me. That's the first one. I think it's the fourth one that is honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
And then one of them is, is, you know, don't lie. One of them is don't murder, don't kill. One of them is don't covet your neighbor's donkey, which is great. I love that one. And I'm really good at that one. I do not covet my neighbor's donkey. So I feel good. That's one of my favorites because I feel good about that one. I think we like the ones that we feel good about, and then maybe, maybe we forget about the ones that we're not sure about if I do a really good job. Like, how do you, how do you not put another God before me? Like, that seems nebulous to me. That seems really hard. Like, I like, I like the bears, you know? I like certain kinds of music, and I like my house and my car, and sometimes it's easy to, to make those, turn those things into idols. So it's hard to always know how to apply some of them. But don't murder. I'm good with that. I haven't ever murdered anyone. That's good. You should be happy to hear that. Your pastor hasn't murdered anybody. And I don't covet my neighbor's donkey. And so the Pharisees are coming to Jesus saying, what's the most important law? And what they're expecting him to say is number one, or number two, or number eight, or the one about the donkey. That's what they're expecting him to say. And they're trying to trap him because what they want him to say is they want to commit him to one of them, and then they're going to say, what about the other nine? See? What about the other nine? And they're going to try to poke holes in his perspective. They're trying to poke holes in his religious understanding. They're not even sure if he knows them all. He's a carpenter's son. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trap him. And so they said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And here's how he answers. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I just want to break this down for a second because I used to, I read this thing uh, probably a hundred times before I was 16 and finally I read it and I like, my eyes were open to it. And now all these years later, every time I read it, I still get more. In fact, just last service, I got a little bit more out of it than I had gotten last week when I preached it because that's how God's word is. It's living and active and it never returns void. So it's just always speaking to it, to us. It's always opening our hearts and our minds to the truth of God's vibe, what God wants. And what Jesus was, was basically getting at is this. You think it's all about these discrete commandments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He says it is not. It's about all of it. And what he says is the most important commandment is the first commandment. And I know what they're probably thinking. The first commandment is you shall have no other God before me. But no, Jesus said the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And I'm sure that some of the Pharisees were there saying, has this guy ever read the Old Testament? That's not the first commandment. Jesus is saying this is the first commandment. And it's the greatest commandment. And technically, it wasn't the first commandment. Not according to any of the courts where you see the Ten Commandments listed. This is not the first of the Ten Commandments, everybody. Jesus was wrong. Or Jesus was right. And we're wrong. Jesus got something that we don't always get. And what Jesus was saying is the whole point of the commandments is to love God with everything that you are, your whole person. The whole point is to love him with your heart, 
and your soul. Those are like the, like the inner parts of you, like the deepest parts of you. Your mind, in, in, another, in another passage, the, the parallel passage, I think it's in Mark, Jesus adds to this your strength. The whole point is God wants you to love him with all of you. He doesn't want you to compartmentalize your life. He doesn't want you to say like, okay, now we're doing the church thing. Everybody get on your church clothes. And they're like, oh, thank God we go to Alpine. These are my church clothes, you know. <laughs> what I rolled out of bed in, that's my church clothes, right? You've all seen Tracy Jones around here. So you're like, oh, thank God for Tracy Jones, you know. He wears sweats to church. Christians can wear sweats to church. That's going to be our next billboard. You know, and you're like, okay, I roll out of bed, I get in the car, I come to church, and now I do my church thing. This is the time that I give to God. This is my 60 minutes that I give to God. And I'm going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to try not to swear on the way to church. I'm going to I'm gonna try not to swear in the lobby at church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you swore in the lobby today. It's, you know, sometimes it slips out, right? Because no one's perfect, but we got the vibe right. And we come and we worship God and we listen to a sermon and we hope it doesn't go over 60 minutes. <laughs> right? So now we can go home and say, check. And that's kind of like our check. You know, the, the Israelites had their Ten Commandments, check, 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 check. We kind of have our own, right? We don't maybe know the Ten Commandments, but we know our own Ten Commandments, whatever they happen to be. Whatever we consider to be the Christian thing to do, and we say, this is my spiritual life, and I'll give God my spiritual life, but when I go home, now, now I can really let my hair down and be myself, and I can just do the rest of this, and I go to work, and I can leave the God stuff out of it, or I go to school, and I can leave the God stuff out of it, and then we come back eventually, and we, we try not to get too drunk on Saturday night, so that we can wake up in time to go to church at 9.30 on Sunday morning. Or, well, you guys are the 11 o'clock crowd, so, you know, whatever. Not going to judge. And that's how you think about your Christian life. You think about your Christian life as this, you put, you put it in this compartment. You, I'm going to give God my spiritual life. As if there is, there is such a thing as your spiritual life and then your financial life or your health life or your relational life or your emotional life. And you have all these other parts of you. As if, there, as if God looks at it as this, 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 all these separate things. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying to these Pharisees who had this same misconception about God that, that they're spiritual, they put on their robes and they put on their tassels and their garments. And they had all these patches that showed how much they've studied. They had all these degrees. They have all this respect and everybody, everybody talks to them and, and, and looks at them with respect. And, and they, they say, oh, you're a Pharisee. Oh, you're the expert. You're the, really the expert. And then when they go home, you never know what they're doing with their wife and how they're treating their wife. And when they talk to their kids, who knows if they're good dads. I can't tell you how many pastors I know whose kids can't stand Jesus because of their dad. Like, that breaks my heart. That's a guy that missed the vibe of Christianity, but he knew the letter of the law, and that was the Pharisee. And Jesus wanted none of that. And so he said this, here's what it's really all about. Love God with 
everything you have, every part of you, your whole person. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Which Another way to say that is, and the second first commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about how God wants the whole person. He wants your whole person. He doesn't just want your spiritual side, whatever that means. He wants your whole person. And I want to break it down into these three things that you see in this life verse of mine in Jesus's. And he says this, love God, that's your spiritual health. Love your neighbor, that's your relational health. And love yourself, that's your emotional health. So we're going to talk today about spiritual health, loving God, relational health, loving your neighbor, and emotional health, loving yourself, because you have to have all of them. That's what Jesus envisions for you. Jesus envisions for you to be the kind of person that loves God, loves your neighbor, and loves yourself. You're not just really good with God, but you're a jerk with people. Or you're not really good with God and people, but you hate yourself, and you're emotionally unhealthy. Jesus wants a whole person. We're going to talk about how to be healthy and whole. We're going to actually do it in reverse. So we're going to, if you look at this, we're going to talk about loving yourself first. Then we're going to talk about loving your neighbor. And then we're going to talk about loving God. Okay, so number one, here we go. Emotional health. All this stuff is online, so I don't want you to write anything down. I want you to just be present and hear this today. Emotional health is being comfortable in your own skin. Emotional health is loving you. Is loving yourself. Now what's interesting about this is 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, they weren't like, I don't know what you mean by loving myself. I, I don't love myself. 2,000 years ago, people actually were more emotionally healthy than they are today. Self-esteem was not a problem 2,000 years ago. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting to know? Like people loved themselves. People had a, didn't have a hard time loving themselves and having a, a proper understanding of who they were. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have junior high. So they didn't have emotional problems. I mean, think about it. That's where emotional problems start in junior high. Everything, I noticed, I didn't notice this until I had kids. And my kids are like just, they're just normal people. Like they don't have, Kenzie never thought about her weight. AJ never thought about his height. He just ran around. He just had fun. He just had a good time. And life was good. The, his teachers in grade school loved him. They hugged him. They loved him. They, I mean, grade school teachers, if you're a grade school teacher, thank God for you. I mean, you're just, you're awesome. You love your kids. You, you know, kids in grade school, they're just not that mean. Kids in grade school, are, it's just simple. And then junior high happens. And now we start racking up our future counseling bills, right, because of junior high. Because junior high is where you come in, and now this kid who got made fun of and picked on when he was, I don't know who started it, Adam probably, you know, who got, who got picked, picked on and made fun of and when he was a 6th or 7th grader, now he gets to be the guy who hazes and picks on and makes fun of that newbie that comes into school. So now all of a sudden, I remember when, when AJ was getting ready to start junior high, Kenzie sat him down like the week before. And she, like, she had like a, like a heart-to-heart with him. Like, AJ, you're good enough. You're strong enough. Gosh darn it, people like you. You know? 
Like you're going to go to junior high and it just get ready because all hell is going to break loose when you get, when you hit junior high. And sure enough, like AJ now he starts, he starts like wondering who he is and is he valuable and is he cool and is he, is he athletic enough and is he smart enough and all these things. It's so interesting to see what happens with some of the social dynamics in our culture. And all Facebook and Instagram and everything else, Twitter, all that does is it just perpetuates it until we become president of the United States, you know? Like it just perpetuates your insecurities and the way you deal with it and the way you look at yourself. I want to give you this fuller definition of emotional health. It's seeing yourself how God sees you. No more and no less. Think about it. An emotionally healthy person looks in the mirror and says, I'm good with that. I don't need to cover anything up. I don't need to try to be someone I'm not. I don't need to try to, like, I'm good with that, you know? I became more emotionally healthy the day I looked in the mirror and saw my receding hairline and said, I can either keep trying to comb this thing over or I could just go ahead and buzz this now and let everybody see my progress. <laughs> and that's what I did years ago, before I even started the church, Alpine Church. I just, I just said, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to buzz it. My twin brother was still combing over at the time. I'm like, dude, just give it up, man. Like, <laughs> you fought the good fight. Just give it up. It's good. And I, the next time I saw him, he had started buzzing too. And both of us, we give each other high fives. when he's like, we're good, man. God made us this way. You know, some people he gave hair to. The godly men he made like this. Right? Can I get an amen from at least a few of you out there? Thank you. And I don't know what your insecurity is. I don't know what that thing is. When you look in the mirror, you're like, I wish I, wish I was different. I wish God made me different. I wish I was taller or shorter or thinner or fatter or whatever. Hairier, less hairy. <laughs> Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what goes on in your mind. But a lot of that started in junior high. Because you started buying into the way someone else defined you. You started listening to the way someone else talked about you. Rather than listening to the way God talks about you. You started letting someone else give you value and worth. But I'm going to read this definition again. Emotional health is seeing yourself how God sees you no more and no less. You're not going to think of yourself higher than how God sees you, and you're not going to think of yourself lower than how God sees you. He made you the way you are, and he was having a good day that day. Some of you are like, no, I think he was distracted when he was making this right here. Like, you know, when it came to, when my name came up, and he starts designing me and how tall and how hairy and less hairy and whatever. Like, you know, Michael, the archangel said, Jesus, God, catch. And he throws a ball at him. He gets distracted. Whoops. Oh, there's, there went his ear, you know. That's why my ears are different sizes, you know. God wasn't having a good day. He was a little distracted that day. No, God made you the way you are, and he was having a good day when he made you. And he knows everything about you. It says it like that in Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. The crazy thing about emotional health is a lot of us are trying to cover up the truth about us. We're trying to overcome it. We're trying to compensate for it or whatever because we don't feel good about something about us. But the Bible says that God knows everything about you. And then it goes one further. He still loves you. 
We're, we try to cover up what we don't like, our imperfections, because we're afraid that if somebody that we're married to or that we're, that we're dating or that we're friends with, that if they knew this part about us, then they'll reject us. And so much of our unhealthiness emotionally is we're trying to overcome the fear of rejection and we're trying to become something that we're not rather than accepting how God made us and what God did and that it's good what he made because we're created in the image of God. And yet God, the one that we should care the most about, the one that really gets to define us, that God actually knows all those things. We can't pull a fast one on him. He knows all those things. And he's like, I'm good with you. That's how I made you. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to just say, okay, I'm good. I'm good with how God made me. Now I can move on. That's emotional health. That's loving yourself. And then the second thing is relational health. And I like this definition. Relational health is... Truly loving the people around you and wanting the best for their lives. That's relational health. And here's what happens is when you can become emotionally healthy, you can start, you can start to look around you and you can start to love and think about the perspective of someone else. Emotionally unhealthy people, here's what they do. They're so, they're so focused on themselves. It's not just the arrogant, boastful person who's emotionally unhealthy, who's overcompensating. It's the person who's always putting themselves, themselves down. It's the person who has such low self-esteem. But, you know, high, too high self-esteem and too low self-esteem, they're the same root problem. The root problem is you're only thinking about yourself. All Satan wants to do is get you focused on you. If he can get you focused on you, then you will not have enough energy to look outward and start thinking about someone else. But Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you can start to love yourself and get over yourself and your insecurities, now you'll be freed. It's so freeing. You'll be freed to look outward and say, how can I help you now? How can I think about you? How can I invest in you? How can I pay it forward in your life? What can I do for you? Because you're not so wrapped up in what you're doing for yourself anymore. Relational health is truly loving the people around you and wanting the best for their lives because you're over yourself. And that's what Jesus wants out of us. He wants relationally healthy people. I love this verse in Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. It says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. It almost seems like Paul, when he wrote this, knew what he was talking about. That there's a, there's a tendency in us to try to pretend that we love others. The reason you pretend to love someone else is because you really only love, you're really only trying to think about yourself. And you're trying to get something for yourself. But Jesus is, or Paul and Jesus, they were saying, no, don't, don't, no more pretense. Let's not be like, let's not be fake. Let's not be fake Christians who pretend to love others, but when the rubber meets the road, we really don't love anyone else. He says, no, don't, don't do that. Just really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Doesn't that sound like the vibe of the Ten Commandments? The vibe is love others, Really love them, hate what's wrong, hold on to the good. That's the vibe of the Ten Commandments. Now, the letter of the law, you might be able to keep some of those. The letter of the law is one thing. But no, no, I want you to go beyond that to what it's really talking about. What it's really talking about is loving each other with genuine affection. That's why you shouldn't murder. That's why you shouldn't covet your neighbor's donkey. That's why you shouldn't lie. Because it's not, it's not right. It doesn't honor somebody to lie and not tell the truth. The reason you shouldn't lie isn't because lying is just this, like, number seven on this list. You shouldn't lie because people matter to God. So don't lie to them. Oh, and by the way, 
you matter to God too. So there's no reason for you to lie. Just be truthful. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Be transparent. Because if that person is going to love and accept you when you're transparent, wow, that, that totally changes your marriage. Totally changes your relationships. That now that you can, I can be honest with Tracy and Tracy can be honest with me because we're not trying to pretend we're something we're not. I'm imperfect. She's slightly less imperfect. Like we get that now. We both agree with that. Last night we had this argument in front of our daughter. We had this, this converse, we call them conversations. We had this conversation in front of our daughter that was heated. And you know, I, it dawned on me as we did this last night that so many of you wouldn't do that. I had a friend that told me that, that his parents would send all the kids out into the cold when they were going to get in a fight. Outside. Kids go outside. They lived in Minnesota. Could you imagine like a, every fight in the winter, you're like, please, please, Lord, no, please. And they'd be like, go outside. We're going to have a fight. So they'd go outside. They never got to see their parents fight. Why? Why, why would you hide that? Why would you hide, like, real life? So our, there we are, like, we're getting into it. Tracy and I, are get, right, after, right before I have to preach this sermon, we're getting into it in front of our daughter. And afterward, we kind of like, as we, as she's sitting there the whole time. And it's not unusual for us to do this. And afterward, we actually looked at her and we said, Kenzie, what would you speak into our lives on this thing? And Kenzie, our 18-year-old daughter, is like, well, Mom, I think this... Here's where I think you maybe went wrong. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, here's what I think you could have done better. And we sat there and we, heard, we listened to what our daughter's perspective was, a third party on the fight we just had. And we, we apologized to each other and we went on with our day. It was just so freeing and so not... No, we didn't try to pretend we were perfect. We didn't try, I didn't try to pretend I'm this pastor above the law, you know, like I can, I can do no wrong, you know. It's, it's freeing to live like that. It's freeing to love with genuine affection. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It, does, it doesn't say perfect affection. It says genuine affection. We're just authentic, and we take delight in honoring each other. That's the kind of marriage I want my daughter to have, so I want her to see it. I don't want her to marry a fake guy who looks too good to be true. I want, I want a real, to marry a real guy who knows who he is because he's created in the image of God and then loves her because he gets over himself. And he embraces her and they, they grow together in love for each other and for God. That's what God wants from us. He wants emotionally healthy people who love themselves and he wants relationally healthy people who love their neighbors and also the people inside their house. Don't just love your neighbor. That, all, that actually means everyone, including your spouse. And then, that, the, then the final thing is spiritual health. And spiritual health, I like to define it like this. Spiritual health is letting Jesus fix the brokenness at the core of your being. Because here's the problem. The reason you're emotionally unhealthy is because you're broken. The reason you're relationally healthy is because you're broken. So the truth is, even though I went in backward order, Jesus went forwards and he says, love God first. Because if you don't love God, you can't love people and you can't love yourself. This isn't just some self-help sermon. My answer for today, the takeaway for today, isn't go home and watch more Dr. Phil. Right? Because you're like, man, this sounds a little bit like Dr. Phil. No, 
except for this last part, which is the most important part. When you get right with God, what happens is a transformation starts to occur in your heart, in that innermost part of you, a transformation starts to occur. And you start to get more emotionally healthy because your relationship with God fixes your brokenness emotionally. And you can look in the mirror and say, I'm going to believe what God says about me, not what Jimmy said about me. Or what my kids said about me, or my dad said about me, or my mom, or whatever the hurt comes from. Whoever you let define you, when you get your relationship with God right, all of a sudden you begin to let him define you. And you let his voice be the loudest voice in your life, even when you look in the mirror. And pretty soon you start believing what he says in here. And he says, I made you, and I know you, and I still love you. And now you begin to believe that. And he changes you and he fixes you emotionally. And now you start getting over yourself and you start looking at other people and loving them with genuine affection, not perfect affection, just genuine affection. And you love them and you invest in them and you care about them, not perfectly, but better than before because God changed you from the inside out. Because he, broke, he fixed your brokenness. And that brokenness impacts your relationships. And that's what spiritual health is. And so when you love God... You can love yourself and you can love your neighbor, neighbor, and that's the whole person God wants. He doesn't want a fragmented person. He doesn't want a disintegrated person. He wants you to be a whole person who gives your whole life, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything about you, everything that is you. He wants, to get, he wants you to give all of you to him, and then he'll transform that person into someone who's better to be around and who's changed at the core. Paul said it like this in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. I might even say a whole person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. He doesn't want these Pharisees who give just this compartmental, this compartment of their life to God and you don't know what they're like behind closed doors. He just wants the same whole person everywhere they are. And that's what he wants for you. And if you're here today and you say, I want that for me too. Whether you've been going to church your whole life or you're brand new here today, if you're like, I want that for me too, we'd love to help offer that to you.